Hey, it's Matt Trueblood again. This is the Matt Trueblood Baseball Podcast. Maybe I should stop introducing myself since the title does it for me, but haven't gotten there yet. It's Wednesday, February 13th. I am coming to you from the place where I basically always do. I don't know if I've mentioned this. It's the parking lot behind my place of work. (laughs) So if you hear outdoor noises, uh, it's because I'm outdoors and there are all kinds of other things going on in this business park, but uh, I try to keep them to a minimum and get to somewhere quiet. And uh, hopefully sound quality will improve in the not-so-distant future, but for now this is what we've got. I actually got a suggestion from a listener-slash-buddy for a topic for today, as I asked for any last time I podcasted. Uh, Alex Crisafuli, who does such phenomenal work on the Cardinals for Birds on the Black and is in general a a good dude and great baseball mind, uh, sent me a DM on Twitter asking if I could lay out any reasonable case against the Cardinals, excuse me, pursuing Bryce Harper much more strongly than they have to this point, maybe even signing him. As Alex pointed out, I think the case for Harper and the Cardinals is relatively obvious. He'd put a a very handsome capstone on an offense that's already pretty good. Uh, If you believe, as I do, that the optimal 1-2 at the top of the lineup for St. Louis is Matt Carpenter and Paul Goldschmidt, sliding Harper right in behind Goldschmidt would give the Cardinals just a devastating trio for a pitcher to have to work through right from the start of the game but uh as alex pointed out that's very much not the course that the team has charted to this point i don't know that at any point during this winter harper's uh reported potential destinations have even grown to include the cardinals as a top five kind of team We know the Cardinals have tons of resources, so that leads to the question, why aren't they getting more aggressive in this area? Uh, Perhaps they were trying to head off questions like those when they traded for Goldschmidt relatively early in the offseason, but it hasn't worked. Uh, And as spring training opens, there are still plenty of questions around their outfield, and specifically, I think, right field. You know, unless and until they prove not to be reliable, you're going to have Marcelo Zuna in left field. You're going to have Harrison Bader in center field. But with right field, uh, there are so many more questions. You know, it, it seemed like a breakup was almost imminent between Dexter Fowler and the Cardinals at a couple of points during last season. Uh, but at the moment, his trade value is so low that I don't feel like they would feel comfortable moving on from him. So let's start there, because I don't believe it's the best argument against the Cardinals signing Harper, but it may be the most salient. It's not unreasonable to ask the DeWitts to essentially eat the money on the Fowler deal, which has not worked out, find a place to trade him out of town, maybe save a little bit of cash on the way, and then go spend big bucks on Harper. I say it's not unreasonable, but it is unrealistic. And that's the thing that we've got to wrestle with as we as fans take in the new and changing landscape of 
baseball salaries uh, and the compensation structure, the competitive balance structure of the entire league, there is a big difference, a taut tension right now between what is and what ought to be. We can keep saying, keep talking about what ought to be, about how much owners are making, about how easy it would be for them to spend considerably more on their teams. But talking about it, especially for outsiders like us, but almost anyone just talking about it isn't going to have any impact. The owners will not make this change just because we want them to. The DeWitts aren't especially like most of their brethren and uh, baseball ownership at this point are not especially reliant upon fielding a good team in order to make money. And the amount of money they make does not respond in the same sort of very elastic way to the competitiveness of their team as it did perhaps a decade ago. Every team is realizing this. Every team is acting on it by spending less or being, if not less competitive, then acting differently in their, in their overall philosophy. We can't change that even if we want to. And the reality is that eating a Fowler deal, or even 70% of it, let's say, and signing Harper would be an enormous expenditure that would make St. Louis considerably, although still marginally, more likely to make the playoffs. It wouldn't make them the clear and unchallenged favorites in the National League Central. If it would, maybe you could change the conversation just a bit, especially given the way the St. Louis fan base works. But perhaps one problem is that even with Fowler on board, and assuming a poor performance from Fowler, which as I'll talk about in a minute, I'm not sure is entirely fair. Even so, this is a competitive team. This is a team fans are likely to come out and watch, despite not having made the playoffs the last three seasons, because they have a lot of talent, and there's a moderate chance that they'll make the playoffs this coming season. I would have to double-check, but I think by our Pakota projections, they're pegged to be the second National League wild card, and within just a couple of games of first place in the NL Central. So... There's the reality of the situation. Uh, Fowler is there. He is sort of in the way of whatever else fans might want ownership to do in terms of making a big monetary splash. And even removing Fowler from the equation, the broader point about ownership not needing to spend this much money, there doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence that Harper's demands have shrunk as the offseason has progressed. And I think we need to keep that in mind, too. Um, There's a lot of talk about what Harper might end up accepting. The deal, some of the deals that we've seen come through this winter that suggest certain things about the overall player market. I want everyone to remember not to necessarily assume that those things apply to Bryce Harper. Uh, Scott Boris is a factor in the cold stove more than he's a victim of it. It's not, by no coincidence that Harper, Mike Moustakis, Dallas Keuchel, Marwin Gonzalez, these are all 
Boris clients who are still waiting out this slow winter. It was the same story last year with Jake Arrieta and J.D. Martinez. Now, those two guys both got, I think you could certainly argue, less than uh, less than what they set out to get uh, you know, when they became free agents. But they were also more flawed free agents than Harper is. Um, Boris plays a waiting game as an agent. He's not looking to pounce on the first offer that meets certain criteria. He is looking to milk the market for every dollar it will spend. He's been doing this for years, and he is, again, part of the reason why we've gotten to this this off-season culture that everyone hates so much. I'm not criticizing him per se because the strategy largely works and it's something that fans may just need to shift their understanding of what's happening. Not every player who waits longer to sign gets less money when they finally do, especially if represented by Boris. So let's assume that when Bryce Harper eventually signs, it's going to be for something north of $250 million. The DeWitt's motivation for spending that kind of money is limited because of the fact that the team is already going to sell plenty of tickets because of the aforementioned dynamics of the economics of the game. Let's talk specifically about Harper and about the fit that he would, uh, that he would constitute on this Cardinals roster. I've talked on this podcast before, and I, I think in somewhat in writing, um, about the flaws in Harper's game, the things that I think will lead him to fall a bit short of the ambitions he had for free agency a couple of years ago. Not only that he has not demonstrated the ability, the talent level that he showed in 2015, since 2015, at least for an extended period, but some red flags, some things that make you wonder how much you can bet on him as a long-term asset. Uh, One of those is a lot of swing and miss in the strike zone. Only a handful of guys swung and missed more on pitches within the zone than Harper did last year. Now, he mitigated the damage of that approach and, and perhaps was more willing to trade contact for power because he was swinging earlier in counts. And this is a separate separate piece, separate line of thought, but that's some research that I've been publishing on Baseball Prospectus recently showing that pitchers are coming after batters earlier in counts. Batters need to adjust and swing more early in counts to stay out of the two-strike counts where nothing good happens for them. Uh, Harper is very good at that, and that's a, that's a positive. But the negative of all that swing and miss creates a lurking doubt, I'm sure, for any team that's considering a major long-term investment in him. And it also, that has come hand-in-hand hand with big changes in his approach. Now, those changes seem to me well-advised. They fit the changes in the overall interaction between batters and pitchers over the last few years quite well. But when you're going out to sign a guy and he is demanding a very long-term deal, probably with the right to opt out at certain points, but without you having the right to duck out you know, after just a few years, I think any team is going to be wary of a guy who's 
who doesn't seem to have found himself as a hitter yet. There is some justification beyond cost control, although, of course, that's the primary motivation. There is some justification to teams wanting to wait six years before they have to decide how to Uh, how much to invest in a player on the open market. They want to see a guy figure out and understand himself and concretize some things about the way he plays the game. Harper hasn't done that. (laughs) He's still very much changing a lot from month to month and year to year, and that makes teams nervous. I think the Cardinals are above average in terms of risk aversion, uh, so it may make them more nervous even than it makes an A.J. Preller or some of the other teams that are rumored to be chasing after Harper right now. There's also his defense, and that was ugly last year. Now, the Nationals asked him to play a lot of center field because of some injury issues that cropped up for them, and they asked him to do it in a walk year, and there was some feeling... And I don't, I'm not blaming him for this per se, but there was some feeling that Harper eased off the gas a bit in the outfield, not wanting to get hurt. But even when he's playing at 100%, 100% health and 100% effort, I'm not sure that he is a good defensive outfielder. And certainly I, I wouldn't project him to be one for a long time. This is already a guy who weighs 240 pounds, something like that. I'm not saying you can't be a great athlete or a great outfielder at that weight, uh, but Harper is first and foremost a slugger, and seeing a defensive decline of any kind coming into free agency was, mm, again, maybe not even a red flag, but a yellow one. And that creates a problematic fit for Harper on the Cardinals, too, since while the outfield is pretty good, especially if Bader is healthy and playable. Uh, Overall, this is a team whose defense is spotty, dubious. uh, Pick a word. It's it's not bad per se, but with Matt Carpenter moving to third base to accommodate Goldschmidt's arrival and not knowing the health of Marcelo Zuna's shoulder or his, his own attitudes about going flying into walls and what is now a free agent walk year for him there are a lot of places around the diamond where you're not sure what level of defensive competence you're going to get as it is there is something to be said you know it doesn't offset what harper does well doesn't make him a bad player but there is something to be said for a team that already has some concerns about its overall defense not wanting to add harper who is more likely to be a minus than a plus on the defensive side. And then we'll talk about now the Cardinals' other options because I think this is really where the rubber meets the road. And the relationship between Fowler and the Cardinals is so complicated that it's hard to say they could be optimistic about him at this point. But I think they still feel that he earnestly wants to bounce back and that there's talent there. I've talked to Alex, among others, about my reservations about Fowler as a right fielder. I don't think he's going to come around and become an above-average defender out there. 
But I think the offensive struggles we saw last year were mostly an aberration for him. I think the battles with health and being in a poor place mentally uh, for various reasons, some certainly within his control and some very clearly beyond them, uh, interfered with him accessing his talent. I don't think that at age 32 or 33, Fowler's entirely washed up. I have a piece that'll come out near the end of this week at Baseball Prospectus that digs mostly in on the Mets and Cardinals uh, because they both have log jams at the corner positions on their roster. But one of the interesting things that I found in doing that and sort of teasing out our Pakoda projections was that Pakoda believes Fowler's going to bounce back and post a 107 DRC plus this coming year. I don't know if I'm quite that bullish, but I certainly think he's going to be closer to that, maybe right around league average overall, than he will be to the calamitous line that he put up last season. And if you believe that at all, or if you believe, which I am less sanguine about, but I think the Cardinals are more so, that Tyler O'Neill is going to walk enough and uh, hit for enough power and be a good enough defender at any of the three outfield positions to mitigate the damage done by his hilarious swinging strike rates. Uh, If you believe those things, then Harper offers less of an upgrade than he does if you're down on both of those guys. And you look down the road just a little bit. Alex pointed out in the message to me that St. Louis doesn't have a lot of elite talent coming churning through the system. And he's right. But the depth there is fine. There are a lot of outfielders that look like they could slot in and be worth a couple of wins a year or at least could aggregate to a couple of wins a year over the next few seasons. I don't know that it's smartest to take all of these gambles in miniature by not signing Harper and hoping for Fowler to play well or O'Neill to play well or Ozuna and Bader to stay on the field enough that O'Neill can play if Fowler doesn't play well and then hoping for Randy Arozarena or Jose Adeliz Garcia or Lane Thomas to become a, an average plus overall player. Those are a lot of little bets that I'm not sure I would make as a, an alternative to signing Harper. But it's not a terribly difficult argument for the team to make, especially uh, given that there's just so much uncertainty in the labor market, not only present but future. This came up today when Aaron Nola signed an extension with the Phillies that seemed to be rather on the low end of what he's worth. He'll get $45 million over four years, buying out one free agent season. That could rise to about $60 million over five years. But people were wondering why he would take such a deal. Only three years from free agency coming off, you know, top three Cy Young consideration in all likelihood. And I think the answers are twofold. One, that this free agency market has demonstrated to a lot of guys that there may not be as much money out there in their 30s as they had thought. But two, that 
there is enough nervousness pervading the players' side about a potential strike in 2021, about a new CBA that will take effect in 2022 one way or the other, that we can't know the terms of yet. Sure, it could be more player favorable. They've taken a more aggressive posture. They've hired a qualified negotiator. It could bend back the player's way, or it could break the other way. Um, It could well be that in 2022, through whatever strategic concessions the players' union might make to get a salary floor, to get earlier compensation for players who reach the major leagues, things like that, we could be playing under a salary cap in five years or sooner. And if that happens, you don't want to be the guy who signed the $300 million contract right before $300 million contracts started to look like hilarious errors. Now, as in other leagues in the past, when rule changes affect the financial layout of the game significantly, exceptions can be carved out. But I think teams still proceed extra cautiously when they feel as though there's a chance that the ground might be shifting under their feet and soon. I don't like that the Cardinals aren't in on Bryce Harper. I don't like that Bryce Harper's still a free agent. I'll just point out again that he is still a free agent in no small part by choice because Boris wants to get the most possible money for him and isn't in any hurry. And I'll also point out that more teams should be competing for him, but given some of the things on the field that Harper either doesn't do well or just hasn't demonstrated the ability to do consistently, there's a little more uh, heft to the arguments against signing him to an extremely lucrative deal than most people have, have granted to this point. I think that's all I got for now. I will be back probably tomorrow, uh, Thursday, and then I've got a podcast appearance on, on another show that I like very much, and I'll talk about it more uh, at the end of the week. Thanks again, and uh, we'll be in touch.